out there in podcast land. Welcome to the Retirement Coach Podcast. I'm Mike Keenan, your host. Today we explore retirement rule number 44, acquire new hobbies. And our quote is from author J.D. Salinger, who wrote Catcher in the Rye, one of my all-time favorite novels. He once said, What really knocks me out is a book that when you're all done reading it, you wish the author was a terrific friend of yours and you could call him up on the phone. That doesn't happen much, though. Okay, there are historic dates that people long remember. For example, there was the spectacular destruction of the Hindenburg airship before a stunned crowd of reporters and newsreel cameras when it crashed in Lakehurst, New Jersey, May 6, 1937. That's permanently imprinted on my youthful memory chips, even though I wasn't born for another seven years. Subsequently, I avoided any travel by blimp-type airships. And remember Mount St. Helens explosion? Dormant since 1857, the 1980 eruptions in Washington state dramatically announced the volcano's reawakening. Then, in 2013, Typhoon Haiyan tore through the central Philippines, killing nearly 6,000 people and displacing more than 3.6 million more. There have been historic airplane accidents, avalanches, blizzards, droughts, earthquakes, floods, hurricanes, typhoons, landslides, nuclear disasters, oil spills, tornadoes, and tsunamis. There are assassinations, JFK. Robert Kennedy, Martin Luther King Jr., and Indira Gandhi, just to name a few. If you're like me, there are also many personal dates that you can never forget. I remember a blind date once with a robust lady named Sue, but perhaps we had better not go there. This brings me to an ignominious date, May the 14th, 2002, that I find difficult to explain to male friends, particularly those aware of my zest for sports. I will set the scene. When I was young, I played for three hockey teams in three different leagues. I was rarely home evenings except to eat and sleep. Most of my waking hours were consumed in frosty arenas. When I graduated from university and started to work to pay off student loans, I settled for recreational hockey once a week. Diane arrived on my radar screen and then little blurbs called children. Our first child had the impudence to appear on April 7, 1967. My brother had driven over to be of help but more likely to assist me to watch the seventh and deciding game of the Stanley Cup Finals between the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Montreal Canadiens. Playoff hockey between Toronto and Montreal was an epic event then, comparable to watching a new Madonna video. During the second period of this classic battle, Diane went into labor. Hang in there, honey, I encouraged. There's only one period left. Yeah, my brother echoed and opened another beer. I think I need to go to the hospital now, she said, minutes into the third period. Jeez, the game will be over soon, I said. It was a tight struggle. The score tied. My brother leaned over and whispered, Do you think she can last if they go into overtime? I must acknowledge that compared to the players with their black eyes and stitches and broken noses, Diane impressed me most that night. She did not leave the house until the game was decided. This brings me to May 14, 2002, the date of the seventh and deciding playoff game between Toronto Maple Leafs and the Ottawa Senators. Where was I? Sitting at a men's book club meeting discussing the merits of Clara Callan. Richard Wright's Giller Prize winning novel. This book has no hockey in it. It concerns three women in the 1930s, 
prior to hockey broadcaster Foster Hewitt even, particularly Clara, a small-town teacher. She doesn't even figure skate. I can't believe it. We scheduled our book talk for the same day that the Leafs played the Sens. As a token of respect to our dwindling testosterone, Tony, our host, did leave the TV set on without audio, but nobody watched. When I got home, Diane reported that I missed a great game. As we age, our roles seem to strangely reverse. I recommend book clubs to fellow male retirees. They constitute a fun night out. And it's really neat to watch old men pull an opponent's sweater over his head and pummel one another in a heated discussion concerning plot structure and characterization. We took inspiration from Oprah. The signs were there if you cared to observe them. All those shows on recovery, self-help, addictions, abuse, and Dr. Phil with his no-nonsense interventions into the dysfunctional lives of legions. Her last book title said it all, A Fine Balance and Fall on Your Knees, Obvious Cries for Help. Here was the woman who successfully promoted 46 national bestsellers reduced to prostation, trying to maintain a prodigious book club that had been the envy of the world. When she canceled her book club, Oprah inspired us men to start our own composed of retired males. We are a hard-reading, garrulous crew from municipalities scattered all over Niagara, a mini-regional literati think tank composed of aging gray matter and dwindling testosterone devoted to the noble task of interpreting great literature. It wasn't easy. Tony insisted that we read magazines. Who has time for novels? Peter asked if email counted. I spend a lot of time on the computer. At one point, we were on the verge of accepting movie reviews and pizza menus. Finally, good literary taste prevailed, and we abandoned TV, computers, and the daily racing form for books with spines, stories with style. Oprah was our inspiration, our guiding force. We began with no great mischief and the shipping news. Some talked earnestly of moving east to take up fishing, until we reminded them that there were no fish left. Suddenly, like a smitten British monarch, Oprah abdicated, stating, It has been harder and harder to find books on a monthly basis that I feel absolutely compelled to share. Hard to find books to share? Has she been to a bookstore lately? The public library? There are more books there than you can read in a lifetime. In fact, when I asked an old friend if he had read Jonathan Franzen's The Corrections, he confided to me that he reads only authors aged in mid to late life. Young people don't have the experience, and I don't have a lot of time. Back to Tolstoy and Shakespeare, I guess. Gary advocated that our club buy t-shirts with logos. We decided on The Men's Book Club, printed on the front with TMBC rules on the back. Each month, we don our attractive t-shirts, drive to a member's home, and share deep thoughts on a predetermined book title. No beer or wine may be served until the discussion is over. These talks generally last five minutes, and then we get into side issues such as the Leafs, politics, surgery, who's died recently, the price of gasoline, and of course, beer. If a TMBC member cannot make it to the meeting, he phones in his review. For example, Ward missed our last discussion, but called and said to tell the group that he thought the book was delightful. He spoke plainly and concisely, aptly summing up 645 pages in one word. Men can do that. Our book club does not waste a lot of time on pleasantries. We get right to the issue. Late in the evening, we agreed that delightful best summed up our collective feeling. With or without Oprah, I think TMBC has tremendous potential, and I hope that booksellers are supportive. 
Besides the obvious commercial success, we're all on fixed incomes, I think we could perform a great public service for other readers. What those movie guys Siskel and Ebert accomplished with three words, two thumbs up, we could accomplish with one. I see book jackets labeled coast to coast with the men's book club rates this novel delightful. If you think you might like to start a book club, here's a list of some books read by the men's book club, all of which are delightful. The Way the Crow Flies by Anne-Marie MacDonald, Clara Callan, Richard B. Wright, Stupid White Men by Michael Moore, Life of Pi, Yann Martell, Family Matters by Rohitten Mystery, The Stone Carvers by Jane Urquhart, The Shipping News, Annie Pruel, The Last Crossing, Guy Vanderhaeg, Crow Lake, Mary Lawson, The Corrections, Jonathan Franzen, No Great Mischief, Alistair MacLeod, The English Passengers, Matthew Neal, The Ash Garden, Dennis Bach, Orcs and Crake, Margaret Atwood, Deafening by Francis Attani, Shake Hands with the Devil by Romeo Dallaire, Paris 1919, Margaret McMillan, The Da Vinci Code, Dan Brown, East of Eden, John Steinbeck, The Grapes of Wrath, John Steinbeck, We Like Steinbeck. Today's retirement affirmation is, I am accepting of others, particularly those who, when they visit, bring their own beer. Those with puzzling questions about retirement can contact me at mjk6648 at gmail.com. This concludes the Retirement Coach Podcast number 44. Our next podcast, one week hence, will cover Retirement Rule 45. And now a brief word from our sponsor. Today's podcast is brought to you by Dandy Dan's Durable Dentures. Are you a former hockey player? When you appear in public, are you afraid to smile? At a restaurant, do you order spaghetti instead of steak? Fear not. We here at Dandy Dan's Durable Dentures have a delightful tooth-like product that will restore both your smile and your bite, something you will be proud to place in a water glass at night on your bedside table. In the morning, you can wake up and put a smile on your face. Contact us at Dandy Dan's Durable Dentures, Confederation Drive, Niagara Lake, Ontario, for your free brochure. I'm Mike Keenan, your retirement coach. Have a great day and tune in again next week for Retirement Rule number 45.